0: A visiting grandmother was happily sitting in front of the high chair feeding Junior while his mother, her daughter-in-law, was busy in another part of the house. And when the carrot jar was empty and the, and the um, pea jar was empty, Grandma made her way to the freezer to get out the ice cream that she had purchased for her visit, her favorite chocolate chip cookie dough. And when Grandma had a heaping spoonful of ice cream, just a fraction of an inch from Junior's wide open mouth, her daughter-in-law appeared in the kitchen. Stop! She commands in a voice that's just a little too desperate, that always accompanies a near-death experience. We don't give Junior ice cream. Dairy products are the number one allergens, and processed sugar is a toxin. It's white poison. Now, it isn't usually good for a daughter-in-law to command a mother-in-law, but Grandma reluctantly lowers the spoon, hurt and a little bit bitter, She points to her own son who has now walked into the kitchen to see what the commotion is all about. And grandma grandma says, I gave him ice cream all the time and it didn't hurt him. And he was apparently good enough for you to marry. (laughs) Even though I gave him allergens and toxins and white poison. And now the battle is on, right? Daughter-in-law, because she's attempting to live by her nutritional convictions and to raise her child in a healthy way, has inadvertently passed judgment and condemned grandma's method of child raising, right? And so the battle is on. Jesus says this in John 15, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Right? If you don't know about allergens and toxins, there's no guilt. But Jesus continues, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. So here it is. Jesus, in speaking the truth to us, in exposing the allergens and the poisons and the toxins and the sinful way in which the world lives, Jesus, in doing that, has started the battle. His way... The way of truth and the way of the world. Except here's the difference. The world isn't as sweet as some grandmas are. Because you, you can't expose the world. You can't pass judgment on the way this world lives. You can't condemn the lifestyle of this world and get away with it. The world will strike back. And Jesus knows that. And so in these same words, he says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. So this battle, this clash between God's way and the way of the world, this battle is a reality for every one of us. And so for that reason, we should be grateful this morning that we get to talk a third week about battles, right? In the book of Deuteronomy. Because we see that to be battle ready, for God to make us battle ready, that is a blessing of God on us. When we see and realize from his word that you and I, we cannot opt out of the battle. We cannot opt out of the battle. So, we must look to God to make us strong in the midst of the battle. And that's what we're going to see this morning, and I hope be encouraged by, as we turn once again to Deuteronomy chapter 33. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Deuteronomy chapter 33. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew there in front of you. And when you found your place, let's stand together and hear read the word of the living God. Deuteronomy 33, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. This is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, pronounced on the Israelites before his death. And now verse 20. About Gad, Moses said, Blessed is he who enlarges Gad's domain. Gad lives there like a lion, tearing at arm or head. He chose the best land for himself. The leader's portion was kept for him. When the heads of the people assembled, he carried out the Lord's righteous will and his judgments concerning Israel. About Dan, he said, Dan is a lion's cub springing out of Bashan. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for time around or together in your word. We acknowledge it once again as truth, Lord, the only source of truth in this world for us. We thank you for revealing it to us and speaking it to us and preserving it for us. And we thank you now for your Holy Spirit that, Lord, though thousands of years have passed since the writing of this word, your spirit remains fresh and new within us in this moment. And so we pray, Spirit, that you would protect your word and protect your truth and teach it to us and change us by it. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. And please don't go into apoplectic shock that we are covering two blessings this morning. Two blessings this morning. Aren't y'all happy about that? (laughs) Let's begin with the blessing that Moses gives to Dan. And seeing that blessing that God's plan for all of us is to stay in the battle not only for ourselves, but for others. We cannot opt out. Listen again to the blessing. Blessed is he who enlarges Gad's domain. Gad lives there like a lion, tearing at an arm and head. He chose the best land for himself. The leader's portion was kept for him. When the heads of the people assembled, he carried out the Lord's righteous will and his judgments concerning Israel. So once again this week, it's clear that the context, the setting here is battle. The language is clear, it's graphic. Gad is like a lion tearing an arm or head. Gad is a leader of the people. The phrase translated when the heads of the people assembled could also be translated when the chiefs of the army assembled. God carried out the Lord's plan. In either case, the military language is clear. Gad will fight. Now that doesn't strike us as unusual. We we already have been down this path, right? Judah is going to fight. He's going to lead in battle. Benjamin is going to fight. We get it. Nothing unusual about that. But let's spend, spend a few minutes this morning considering why it's so unusual that Gad would fight. Look in verse 21. It says there that Gad chose the best land for himself. That means that Gad is already rich. The tribe of Gad, they already have everything they need. This is how it happened. And this is from Numbers 32. Now the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad had an exceedingly large number of livestock. Okay, so go ahead and put the cowboy hat on their heads and the cowboy boots on. This tribe is cattle-rich, Fort Worth, Texas style. Okay, got it? Wealthy tribe. So, when they saw the land of Gilead, that it was indeed a place suitable for livestock, the sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben came to Moses and said, This is a land of livestock, and your servants... Have livestock. If we found favor in your sight, let this land be given to us. Do not take us across the Jordan. Right There's their request. They want this land. (laughs) Moses said to the sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben, Shall your brothers go to war while you yourselves sit here? But they said to Moses, we will build here sheepfolds for our livestock and cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the sons of Israel until we have brought them to their place. We will not return to our homes until every one of the sons of Israel has possessed his inheritance. And so Moses said to them, if you will do this, if you will arm yourselves before the Lord for the war. And all of you armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord. Until he has driven his enemies out before him. And the land is subdued before the Lord. Then this land shall be yours for a possession before the Lord. And The sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben answered saying, As the Lord has said to your servants, so we will do. We ourselves will cross over armed in the presence of the Lord into the land of Canaan and the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us across the Jordan. Listen, this is remarkable commitment from those who already have everything they need. We usually find complacency and not commitment Among people who already have everything they need. But not Dan. Dan is not going to opt out of the battle just because technically it's not their battle. Gad is never going to live in the promised land. But still he cares about what happens there because his brothers and sisters, they are going to live in the promised land. So what impacts them impacts Gad. The battles of the other tribes become the battles of Gad. And look, Gad isn't just going to show up. All right, here I am. Show me what you want me to do. This battle's not really mine anyway. No. Gad is going to go to this battle that some would say is not his in the first place. And he's going to lead the way. He's going to lead the way in battle. The tribe of Gad is going to give of themselves and their resources to fight this battle. This is an article from Forbes magazine. The name of the article is, Astonishing Numbers, America's Poor Still Live Better Than Most of the Rest of Humanity. And there's a quote within this Forbes article from the New York Times that accompanied a graph. And this is what it said. Notice how the entire line for the United States resides in the top portion of the graph. Now, you can't see that graph, so never mind. That's because the entire country is relatively rich. In fact, America's bottom income group is still richer than most of the world. That is, the typical person In the bottom 5% of the American income distribution is still richer than 68% of the world's inhabitants. It's amazing, isn't it? The article continued. It is true that there is more inequality in the U.S., but this isn't because the poor are poorer. It's because the rich are richer. Now, please don't hear me say, that I believe that there is no need in our country or that there is not extreme inequity in our country that is neither right nor godly. Don't hear me saying that the poor among us here in the U.S. should just be happy because, hey, you're poor, but you're better off than the rest of the world. No. Addressing as a church the very real inequity that exists in our city in our country, that's a vital discussion. Addressing the issues of the heart that allow people to keep multiple billions of dollars for themselves and ignore the great need around them, that's a vital discussion to have as well. But we also need to acknowledge that because of the the goodness of the Lord to us as a nation, we are GAD. We already have what we need. So our commitment as believers in Christ must be like the commitment made by God. So that we say to our brothers and sisters around the world, your battle is our battle. We will commit ourselves. We will commit ourselves and our resources to your battles. This blessing that God pronounces on Gad, that Moses pronounces on him, will not allow us to be passive observers. So let's fast forward to the end of the book of Joshua, the book that recounts how God's people took possession of the promised land and see what happened. Joshua 22. Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half tribe of Manasseh and he said to them, "'You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, "'and you have listened to my voice and all that I commanded you. "'You have not forsaken your brothers these many days to this day, "'but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. "'And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers.'" As he spoke to them, therefore, turn now and go to your tents, to the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan. See, Gad did not opt out. He didn't just agree to Moses' terms to get what he wanted. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, Moses, whatever you say. Yeah, yeah, we'll do it. Just go ahead and give us the land, right? Yeah, 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 I know I know the credit card carries 24% interest, but I want what I want to. Okay, no. Dan fought in a battle, not their own, to establish the people of God on earth. Because through these people of God, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Through these people, Jesus the Messiah would come. And that was a battle worthy for God. The world was consuming allergens and toxins. They didn't know any better. But because of the battle that Gad fought, God's people were going to be planted in the midst of them to show the nations of the world God's better way. That's the battle. So what do you and I do with all of this? First, I think we just need to thank God. Because we don't do that enough, do we? for the tremendous blessings and resources that he's entrusted to us as individuals and to us as a church. And not only this church here on Wentworth Street, but the church in America. Thank God for his provision and acknowledge that what we have is a good gift of God's grace. We can acknowledge well and begin to intentionally remind ourselves that we here are part of a worldwide family of God. And we can actively begin to ask ourselves, how is it that we can obey the command of Scripture to bear one another's burdens? You and I as individuals and as a church, we can actively look for ways to resource our brothers and sisters around the world and their ministries and those to whom they minister, particularly in places where the battle is fierce. The church in America, we can stop being like silos. Churches operate in and unto themselves as if they are the only ones that existed in the world, as if they are building their own kingdom all alone, and that's within a denomination. That agrees on everything. We have the same theological confessions. We all agree and yet we're silos. We stay away from one another. We can acknowledge where the true battle is. Too often we battle other Christians. Because of nuances of theology. And I believe that this is a great diversion and a great deception of the enemy to get us to fight one another and to make us feel as if this is the true battle, to cause us to feel justified in thinking that this battle, fighting other Christians, is reason for living and a calling for our life. Think of the amount of time and energy and resources it takes for a church To teach a series on why every other denomination is wrong. I've seen many of those in my lifetime. Many, many of them. Think of the resources that goes into that. Even the great John Calvin was not free from this deception. There was a man in his life named Jerome Balsek. Who was arrested and imprisoned for challenging Calvin during a lecture. And then he was banished from the city. And Calvin wrote privately about the matter, saying that he wished Balsack were rotting in a ditch. Please imagine, rotting in a ditch. There was another man in Calvin's day named Herman. And Herman, for a time, was an Anabaptist. And Calvin wrote, Herman has, if I'm not mistaken... In good faith, returned to the fellowship of the church. He has confessed that outside the church, there is no salvation and that the true church is with us. Therefore, it was defection when he belonged to a sect separated from it. Woo! Yay, Calvin. Victory won. Herman is now reformed and he's no longer an Anabaptist. Now, bear in mind that Anabaptists differed from Reformed in things like Anabaptists believed that church attendance should be voluntary and not compulsory. Anabaptists believed things like baptism was for believers and not for infants. Okay, so you got it. We're not talking about Satan worshipers. Woo! Herman's reformed. Herman's reformed. Herman's reformed. Sorry, <laughs> it's certainly good to attempt to find biblical truth on these matters. I'm not saying that that is not important. What I'm saying is that it's not good to view this as the battle of our lives. Famous church historian from the 19th century, Philip Schaff, he writes this the divisions of Christendom will finally be overruled for a deeper and richer harmony of which Christ is the keynote. Won't that be great? In him and by him, all problems of theology and history will be solved. In the best case, a human creed is only an approximate and relatively correct expression of revealed truth. Here's the thing, let's wake up to the real battle so that we can fight it together here and support brothers and sisters who find themselves fighting fiercer battles around the world. Listen to what scripture says, 1 Peter 5, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Satan is prowling around and Christians are fighting each other. We read this dialogue in Job chapter 1. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Here's the real battle. Satan roaming, seeking, looking for someone to devour. He then is the enemy. Trust me in this. Trust me in this. The Southern Baptist who believes in free will, but who is also resting alone in Christ for their salvation, is going to be standing beside, maybe a few steps behind. (laughs) I'm just saying. The Presbyterian, who believes in predestination, but is also resting in Christ alone for their salvation. Together, they will be in the presence of God. We are not each other's enemy. We're the family that God has called together to advance the gospel and to stand against the godlessness and the evils that sin produces in this world. We tell the world, stop ingesting the allergens and the toxins of this world. Here is the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's a better way. Here's the only way when we say that. The world is going to fight back because they're going to feel that we have judged them and condemned them and sometimes their words are going to be violent and that's what we sometimes experience here in this country and sometimes their actions are going to be violent like our brothers and sisters in the Middle East have suffered and are suffering at the hands of ISIS, right, but we keep on fighting. And we respond to the grace of Jesus with all we have. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They're being tested by many troubles and they're very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy which is overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it out of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem who were being persecuted. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. I'm not commanding you to do this. But I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. That's what Christ Has done for us. He was rich. He already had everything he needed. He did not need to fight. But he chose to fight. To do battle for us. To become poor for our sakes. So we respond to that grace of Jesus. By using our resources. By becoming poor if necessary to engage in the battle for the gospel. Even when we think we don't need to fight. Because the battle is not ours. The battle is ours and we must not opt out. We fight with our brothers and sisters for the world. Why? Because God so loved the Because Jesus said, go ye therefore into all the... Yeah. We can't opt out of the battle. But the battle is not for the faint of heart. You have to be brave to speak up to your mother-in-law. But you can't allow those allergens and those toxins into your child's body. And since you and I cannot opt out of this battle, we need strength to fight it. So we come now to the blessing given to Dan. A much shorter blessing, so relax. Look in verse 22. About Dan, he said, Dan is a lion's cub springing out of Bashan. A lion's cub, a little one, right? And so the metaphor suggests youthfulness, maybe the timidity of youthfulness, the the fearfulness of youth, but remember that the cub becomes the lion. Playful, Hakuna Matata, Simba, right, he grows up and becomes Mufasa, right, the ruler of the pride. And so the power of the full-grown lion is latent in the timid, fearful Cub. Now, with this in mind, can you guess from which tribe Samson, the strongest man in the Bible, descends? You guessed it. Dan. He's from the tribe of Dan. This cub, Samson, the man who took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all, he lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Carson, you try that. Go ahead. The power of the full-grown lion is latent in the cute cub. And so it is for Gideon. When God called Gideon to fight as a judge for Israel, and the Lord turned to Gideon and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you And Gideon said to the Lord, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you. See, when we are weak, when we are timid, when we are fearful, God is with us, and God is strong. So we fight. So it was for Jeremiah when God called him to fight as a prophet of Israel. Jeremiah says, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Right, when we are weak, when we are timid, When we are fearful, God is with us and God is strong so we can fight. And so it was for the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost. He began that day hiding, locked away in a room with the other disciples because they were afraid of the Jews. But when the power of the Spirit of God came upon them, the fear was gone. And Peter left that room of fear and he stood before thousands and thousands of people and he lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. And Peter preached the gospel. When we are weak, when we are timid, when we are fearful, God is with us and God is strong so we can fight. And so it was for Timothy. When he was called to preach, Paul writes to him, Let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. When we are weak, when we are timid, when we are fearful, God is strong. And God is with us so we can fight. And so, if all those stories don't get our attention and all the others, there is a song that we can sing. And this is Isaiah 40. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So guess what? We don't need to look for a way to opt out. Because even if we think we can't do it, even if we think we are weak, we know the Lord is with us and the Lord is strong. And we have each other. We are all in this together. Do you realize that? We are all in this together. We are a family on mission together. And while all of us live in this world, it's time to fight. With our lives and the way we live them. And with the words and the gospel we proclaim and the truth of God's way. In a world of allergens and toxins and poison. But we live that way. We speak that way. Knowing that the battle is there but we must fight for ourselves And for others as well. We must use our resources to support others who are fighting. We don't use our weakness or weariness as an excuse because we know we have the power of the Lord. We don't use timidity as an excuse. I'm not equipped. You are equipped. You are equipped. You have the Spirit of God and you have the truth of the Word of God. You're equipped. Use them. You are a warrior of the Lord. You are a warrior of the Lord and so am I. And we fight as those who fought before us fought, as Dan fought, until we rest with them in the presence of the Lord. And that's the good news, right? Rest is coming for us. But rest is for not here and now. Rest is for a time to come. The world needs us to fight for them. The world needs us to fight their lives. The allergens and the toxins and the poisons will kill them. But Jesus will give them life. Let's fight to tell them so. Let's pray.